You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Top Flight Podcast. My name is Esteban Bailey, and I'm joined today by Gabriel Coelho. How are you doing, Gabriel? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? Doing all right. It's been a fun weekend of soccer. The quarterfinals of the 2018 World Cup have completed. We know the four teams that are going to be in the semifinals. And I guess, depending on where you're from in this world, it's a little disappointing because we have a final four of only European teams. No African, no Asian, and unfortunately no South American teams. Uh, We're going to go and recap all the quarterfinal games and then give our predictions for the semifinals. So let's start... Uh, let's just not waste any time. Let's start with the first quarterfinal match, which was France versus Uruguay. Now, France won the match 2-0 off of uh, Rafael Varane header and an Antoine Griezmann goal that was actually because of Fernando Muslera, the Uruguayan goalkeeper's howler. Very kind of straightforward victory for the French. I think a lot of people expected some more fight from the Uruguayans. Of course, they didn't have Edison Cavani who was injured in their victory against Portugal in the round of 16. But uh, what did you think of the match? Uh, it was decent. As you said, France didn't have too many problems, and people expected a little bit more from Uruguay. Um, the, the, uh, Cavani missing the match had a big influence, even though uh, he didn't he didn't play too well in, in the last couple of games. He, he started to pick up his form. Uh, in the in the in Uruguay's last last matches, but he made a, a big difference uh, because he's the kind of player that can create chances, that can score goals. Uh, he's very creative as well, so he made a big difference. But France's organization throughout the game and how they kept their balance uh, was was very very important to 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 help them win and. They deny Uruguay a lot of space, a lot of chances, and they were very clinical as well. Uh, I think Mbappe probably one of, the, um, one of not, not his best game, but still very, very important in a few situations. Griezmann as well. He he's, he's a wonderful player, Griezmann. Uh, a France through the game, they were very organized, and probably their organization was enough to, to see them beat Uruguay. Yeah, it was a very interesting match in that sense. Uh, France is not playing with the kind of style you would expect for such high-quality attacking talent that they have. They play with a very defensive organization, you know, organized structure. As you mentioned, they were very, very tough to break down. Uh, Uruguay didn't really have a lot of chances on goal. Obviously, there was the incredible save that Hugo Lloris uh, made to stop, uh, I believe it was a set-piece header, uh, by Cáceres, that was incredible. It lit Twitter on fire, and then Diego Godin skied a, what should have been an easy chance uh, moments later. It was, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because this French team, you would want them or you'd expect them to play similarly to teams like Brazil, like in the 70s. You almost want the Ogo Bonita from the uh, French team, but they don't do that. They, they pick their moments. They don't take a lot. Of, they don't have a lot of chances. They tend to have the ball 
more or less the same as the other team. The possession stats for them are not as high as you would expect. And but they they keep getting results. They beat Argentina, uh, even though it was a four three score line. France and and they did go down two one at one point. France was comprehensively better than than Argentina, uh, and France was just much more talented than Uruguay. The flicks and the passing and the just the level of skill that France was showing, especially Griezmann, as you mentioned, and and that number ten center forward role. Uh, he was just he was incredible that game. All his flicks and passes were pretty pretty spectacular to watch. It's just it's funny that there's not a lot of uh, end product. You know what did you, what do you think about this France team? I mean they're in the semifinals, but they haven't. Do you feel that they have really impressed you on any level? Oh yeah, they're 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 an impressive team. I think not playing so beautiful is a part of their their strategy because they set set up on the counter attack. They have powerful runners on Mbappe and Griezmann and even Kante on midfield. He's a very quick player who can start counter attack. So I think they they wait the the opposition come forward at them and when they are not prepared they. They start. They start to run around, and that's that's where France score goals. That's that's the kind of situations where France uh, take advantage of and, and score their goals. But yeah, it's a very very good team. They have um, world class players in every area of the pitch. On defense, they have Run and and Titi, which is a very very capable uh, centre back duo. Even Benjamin Pavard, who, who's a player that I'm not the biggest fan of, he has been very good in this World Cup. Um, Kante and Matuigi, who's, who didn't play on the, on the last match, I think, because he was suspended. But this is a very, a very, very good uh, uh, central midfield pair. And Tolisso was also very good in, on, the, on the last game, I think. I think on a tactical perspective, he was very important. Their attack is just clinical. They 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 won't miss too many chances. That's something that that's very sure. So I think in the semifinals they'll probably step up a little bit and play more more attacking because uh, that's we've reached the stage in the World Cup where you cannot depend on the opponent so much. You can you, you need to to win games by yourself. Uh, but they'll, they'll face Belgium, and uh, I think the, the strategy of waiting and launch counterattacks will, will remain the same. Yeah, maybe. Uh, we'll discuss more that semifinal matchup later in the show. But, uh, yeah, I want to give a little bit of, a, I guess, a eulogy <laughs> for Uruguay, who was a pretty good team in this tournament. They had a pretty good showing. It's unfortunate that their tournament kind of ends on a downer Note, uh, they were undefeated in the group stage. They didn't even give up a goal until the Portugal game uh, from a f- basically a freak Pepe. Well, not freak, but a, you know, a missed, you know, a set piece from a Pepe header. Um, but they were, you know, pretty spectacular. The Suarez to Cavani goals in the Portugal game were pretty spectacular. Uh, Cavani was really spectacular in that Portugal game, and it makes me wonder if maybe they had that ex that other attacking talent to force the. French to not, you know, uh, to be a little more uh, unsafe, maybe it would have been a better game for Uruguay. Maybe it would not have just been such a 2-0. I mean, you, you also have to look at it that France didn't have a lot of chances, and Musilera, who is the goalkeeper for Uruguay, had a horrible, horrible goal, uh, howler to give up the second goal to Antoine Griezmann. Yes, it did knuckle, and, you know, it, it didn't seem like that easy of a save, even with replay, but... 
he, you know, he should have saved it. He's a capable goalkeeper. He's not a bad goalkeeper at all. And it's just unfortunate that, you know, the Uruguayans who played really tough, they have a bright future ahead of them, uh, just weren't able to finish it off. And it's sad because this is likely the last World Cup for Cavani, for Suarez. They'll be 35 for the next World Cup. And by that age, you're usually not at the highest level as a striker anymore. Um, I mean, we've seen it with Slatan, we've seen it with Rooney. It's just, it happens. You know, you lose your, you lose a step and then you just can't be the same kind of player anymore. And it's crazy because we've had such great memories and crazy moments with both players at the World Cup. Of course, Suarez, he didn't have any controversial moments this year. No biting, no handballs, just he tried to play. He had a couple goals, but he was largely ineffective, um, at least from a goal-scoring point of view. He was pretty good yesterday, even though he didn't have uh, a, a shot on target, or I don't even think he got the ball within the box uh, more, than a few, more than a few touches there. So I feel bad for this Uruguayan team. But next year we have the Copa. Uh, as we have to move on to the next game, it is it's kind of representative of a weird trend that these South American teams didn't do so well. And I think on that point, let's move on to the probably biggest surprise of the quarterfinal stage, at least in my opinion. Uh, Brazil versus Belgium, which was the second quarterfinals match. Uh, Belgium won. They won 2-1. It was shocking, to say the least. Uh, Brazil had the most chances in the game. I think they missed four or five, six clear-cut chances that on any other day the Brazilian players would have hit, especially Coutinho and Neymar. Um, they were ripped apart on the counterattack twice in the first half, and that was the basically the end of their tournament. And it's weird because I don't know about you, and I want to ask you this. I thought Brazil was the best team in the tournament. And what's weird is that even though they lost yesterday, I still feel like they were the best team in this tournament. What do you think? I do think we were, Brazil were the best team, but I think they were the most consistent. They kept the level of performances and results. I think they were they were the most consistent because all all of Brazil's wins were two new wins, so they did what was what was required from them. But talking more about about this game, I think um, Brazil could have won, uh, but Belgium are an extraordinary team. They are very, very good team. And they, in the first goal, it was a mistake, an individual mistake by Fernandinho, but that that he could have could have cleared the ball better, but there, that there is this whole thing of Gabriel Jesus being in front of him, so he probably didn't see the ball so well, and he was very lucky to, uh, because the ball hit, hit his arm and went in. It was very a very unlucky goal, and the second goal there's not nothing much you can do because in a corner if you commit your commitment forward that's that's normal, and yeah there there are some details that, that Brazil could have could have done because yeah, when Lukaku was running I think Fernandinho could have fouled him and but yeah there is a possibility of the rule of advantage and the the Bruyne could have scored a goal anyway. But looking as, at the second goal as a whole, that there's nothing much you can do because Kevin De Bruyne, he, he's very, very good technically, and that is the kind of shot that he he'll hit nine times out of ten. So yeah, there's there's nothing much you can do. Uh, and after that, I think Brazil improved a lot. Maybe in the first half, they were still very. Uh, 
very lethargic, but when uh, Roberto Firmino came in, and when Douglas Costa came in for Gabriel Jesus, who was very bad at this whole tournament, I think we started to, to improve, and there was a point in the game where we were far better than Belgium, and we missed, like you said, five or six clear chances. We could have won the game, but but yeah, Brazil could have could have really taken advantage from the these opportunities, especially Coutinho. He tried to place the ball in the corner. He should have just hit it and and hope for the best. Uh, Renato Augusto also missed a, a great chance after he scored a goal with the shot. He made a run in the center and. He, the ball went, went a little bit went close to the post. He was very close from going in. And Neymar had a shot which Courtois saved, which was a, an, an spectacular save. Um, it wasn't Brazil's day. I think probably in any other day we could have won the, this game, but it was meant to be Belgium's victory. And yeah, the, I hope they win this World Cup now because they know now my, my team. But um, they are, their match against France will be very entertaining, I, I, I expect. Well, I want to, you know, we have, you're Brazilian. I want to talk a little bit about Brazil in a nutshell because this was defined or this was the media narrative around this Brazilian team was, oh, this is the team that's going to provide redemption after the 7-1 defeat to Germany. This is the team that is the most talented Brazilian team we've seen since 2002 when they last won the World Cup. This is the team that's going to bring it back, bring Brazil back to the Nash, to the world stage and bring them to glory. Um, what's the mood like in Brazil right now after this defeat? Everybody is sad, obviously, because we wanted to win the, the sixth title so badly. But this time we didn't we didn't lose because of our of our own errors. Yes, it was one error by Fernandinho, but looking at the general perspective of this game, I think we, we lost because of, of the opponent being very good and to our own mistakes. Uh, and in twenty fourteen we lost because the team had no emotional strength and it was it was very a very bad defeat, and which which still still hurts to this day. But in some some kind of ways, I think people see this World Cup as an improvement because we lost. We were were very equal to the opponent to our opponents in Belgium. We we could have beat them, and we were very unlucky. People are sad because the, winning the World Cup means so much. But I think we. We see the future really bright, especially if Chichi stays in, in the stays as the manager, which I think will happen. CBF, which is the Brazilian FA, made a, a, a contract offer for Chichi to remain until the 2022 World Cup. Um, but Brazil lost. People were sad, but we we are proud of our team because they fought. They show commitment. And they showed a lot of, of, of qualities that we didn't have in 2014. So I think we, we hold our head up high. Well, that's, that's good to know. I mean, the, I think I feel pretty bad that most South American teams were not able to... I mean, there is no South American team in the semifinal. 
Colombia lost on penalties. Argentina was pretty poor throughout the whole tournament. Peru was unlucky to get out of the group to not get out of the group stage, and Brazil, which was one of the better teams in this tournament, just got unlucky and they played a really tough team on their best day, and Brazil was not able to get there. So I don't think I think a lot of people have been talking about the superiority of European teams to South American teams, and I, I don't necessarily buy into that. I think it's more. Uh, you have to look at the circumstances of the individual matches. South America is still a superpower when it comes to, f- to the game of football. I think in the next World Cup, there's going to be a mar- like a market improvement. Um, and I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see how Brazil responds to this. It's clear from what you've told me that Brazilians are still pretty hopeful about their national team program, unlike they were four years ago. Um, next year, the Copa, the Copa America is going to be in Brazil. Uh you know, before we move on to the other world quarterfinal matches, I just want to, because I, I, I need to give some love to the South Americans. What do you think about the Brazilian, like, do you think Brazil's going to win next year in the Copa? I hope so. It will, be, it will mean a lot, because in the last two Copa Americas, we were very awful. We, we lost in the quarterfinals, I think, both, and playing at home. I hope I hope Brazil wins wins this, this team to show... They were improving, they left all the hurt from the several one behind. I think that defeat, um, looking at the numbers and, and everything, uh, it, will, it, will very, it will be very difficult to recover. But winning the title, especially a Copa America that has so many qualified teams, it will, it will, it will be a, a statement for Brazil. Well said. All right, let's move on to the other side of the bracket, the quote-unquote easier side of the bracket. And uh, I guess we can lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, England played Sweden uh, in the quarterfinals, in the first one on the second day of the quarterfinals. And England won comprehensively 2-0. It was pretty simple, straightforward. England scored two headers, one off of a set piece with a Harry Maguire header, and the other from a beautiful chip by Jesse Lingard to Deli Alley, who scored the second goal. Uh, Jordan Pickford made some incredible saves to keep England to keep the clean sheet and to make sure that England uh, would go on to their first semi-final appearance in the World Cup since 1990 in uh, Italia 90, which is a pretty legendary World Cup run for the English. Um, the England team is pretty pretty interesting right now. They, well, of course, if you've been online and following this World Cup, the popular meme "It's coming home." Uh, seems to be growing every day. People are starting to believe that this English team can actually win the World Cup. Um, you know, Gabriel, what do you think about England? What do you think about their World Cup run? It has been amazing, for sure. Um, it, this World Cup has been a World Cup where um, the team is reconnecting to the fans because in the last couple of years, in the 2016, 2014 World Cup, there was a lot of pessimism about England, and, and, and the fans were very pessimistic about England. And, and this time out, um, the fans are showing their support to the country. Yeah, they showed in the last couple of years, but they are very hopeful this time. And I think their their hope can can end up in something very special. I think England can go all the way. Um, it's 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 true that they they didn't have a opponent of the caliber of France or Belgium, but um, as people have been saying, you can only beat what is in front of you. So they they 
they they managed to accomplish their jobs. They they have been very good against their opponents. They are very, very they've been very consistent. Uh, I think the Colombia game was probably England's worst game because the second half they waited too much and they, they could have scored maybe another goal and and they I think the penalty shootout uh, they, they could have could have lost on that because it's a penalty shootout yeah of course it's all it's all it's a possibility of losing but they progressed and against Sweden I think they 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 did what what was expected they beat they were they were very comfortable comfortable throughout the game I think uh, Sweden's only clear chance was on that brilliant big for save but. As they've been the whole tournament, they have been very consistent and kept the clean sheet. Clean sheet which was, which was I think their first since World Cup. So uh, yeah, the future looks good for England. Even if they lose against Croatia in the in the semi-finals, it has been an incredible progress um, uh, in the football point of view and in the fan, in the country and the culture point of view. Uh, the fans in the in the in the national team have been reunited, which is a very very good thing to see. Yeah, I agree. I think England surprisingly have been one of the best stories of this tournament. Russia 2018 has been an incredible tournament. But I just want to put that out there. I think everyone has, is agreeing that this has been one of the best World Cups we've ever seen, and I think a part of that is the reemergence of England as a national, you know, as a world. Uh, football power is excellent. It's so much fun. It's the you know the game of soccer is more fun when the traditional powerhouses are you know doing pretty well. England, Brazil, Argentina. You know I, I, we didn't get that with every team this year, but it's fun to see England not disappoint so immensely. In fact, it's such a likable team. You know, in p- past years, it's been hard to separate their clubs uh, club affiliations with their performances on the national team. Like if you're a Chelsea supporter or a Chelsea hater. It's hard to see John Terry as anything else but what you've already seen him as a club legend or a club uh, player. But on this World Cup, I'm an Arsenal fan, and I, I've fallen in love with Harry Kane and Deli Alley. They've been so you know, incredible to watch this tournament, and I, I don't even care that they play for Tottenham or you know, whatever. It's just It's been great, and it seems like it's such a unifying force to a country that obviously has gone through some political... Uh, kind of difficulties in the past couple of years. So it's pretty interesting to see the effect of this really likable, really fun. They play a very interesting style that you wouldn't expect from England. They seem to be playing like a unit, like as a team. They have a clear leader. They have clear superstar talent. And they could possibly win this World Cup. And I never thought, I mean, I, I remember in the preview podcast that I did with Ori, um, we, I mentioned that England could make it to the semifinals. I thought they had the ability to do so, but never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined that England would have been a real contender to win the World Cup. So uh, we'll have to see. We're, we're going to talk about the semifinal matchup, but let's talk about their um, their opponent in the semifinals, which is Croatia, who beat Russia uh, on penalties again after winning on penalties in the Danish game. Uh, the game was 2-2. It went to extra time, and two goals were scored in extra time, which I don't remember the last time even one goal was scored in extra time in a World Cup match. But uh, that was a pretty, you know, it was, it was kind of a boring match until the final few minutes of the match. Denis Sheryshev had an incredible golazo for uh, Russia early in the first half that I thought, oh, my God, Russia's going to do it. They're going to make it to the semifinals of a World Cup. What world are we living in? Uh, but, of course, seven minutes later, the Croatians were able to tie it. It went to extra time. 
the Croatians took the lead off our Vita uh, header. Apparently, he mentioned some anti-Russian comments after the goal, which I think is uh, pretty interesting. He was talking about Ukraine and how it was a Ukrainian victory. Uh, pretty interesting. Whatever. We'll get to that later. But, uh, of course, Mario Fernandez of Russia, who is Brazilian, but uh, is a naturalized Russian citizen and plays for the Russian national team, equalized in the dying moments of the second half of extra time, went to penalties, and Russia just, they bottled it. It was just, they should have won. The goalkeeper for Croatia, Subasic, was injured. He clearly had blown out or at least strained his hamstring so he could barely jump, and yet the Russians missed two penalties. Uh, I believe Smolov hit it directly down the middle, which was hilarious to see. And the hero, Mario Fernandez, um, just completely missed the goal. He went for power to the left co- uh, left post, and he just missed it. It went completely wide. Uh, and then Rakitic was able to score the winning uh, penalty kick. And Croatia is now in the semifinals for the first time since 1998. What do, you, what do you think about... I want you to tell me two things. I want you to tell me what you think about this Croatian team in general and also Russia's run in this World Cup. Okay, so the, the Croatian team, as we've seen in the group stage and in some moments of the knockout stages, a very good team, especially in midfield with uh, Rakitic and, and Modric. So that's where they, they are better than their opponents. Uh, maybe in the knockout stages they haven't been so good at times, but when the, when the difficult um, situations come, they have been very good to come out of it. So I think there will be a very tough match for England, especially, as I said, with the midfield. I think Modric has a, has a the quality to dominate the midfield and to, to make the, the passes and the finds to, to find the space so easy. He can do that so easy. The Rakitic as well, he has the vision, he has the skills, so they are very, very, very good if you do. But the other areas of the pitch, the attack with Perisic and, and Mandzukic and Rebic and the defense with Lovren, who has been a rock throughout this World Cup, and Vida, and Strinic, who is a decent left-back, Versalico as well, who has been being very good in this World Cup. So their team as a whole is very good and they they will be a very tough game for England. And yeah, I think Croatia's campaign so far has been memorable. Uh, nobody expected them to go so far. Except for Ori. <laughs> yeah, except for Ori. <laughs> but but reaching the semifinals means, I think it means a lot for Croatia. Now talking about Russia, it has also been a memorable uh, tournament. They, they didn't progress to the semifinals by a penalty or two that were missed, but in general it was very, a very, very good run because a lot of people expected Russia to be to be out on group stages, on the group stages and reaching the quarterfinals in the World Cup they played at their country. Yeah, I think if you are if you are a Russian, it means a lot to you. Uh, the, the team was resilient. I think the, you, you you wouldn't expect players like Cherichev to score that kind of goals like he did in against Croatia. I think people uh, when talking about Russia were very pessimistic, and they and they and they showed that 
can be a, a good football footballing team and they the fact that they reached the quarterfinals and, and lost just on penalties shows that they 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 are a country that is progressing in terms of football and I think uh, it shows hope for Russian football this this campaign because it was very good for them. Yeah, I, I think they definitely over exceeded or they exceeded uh, their expectations and uh, I'm not exactly a fan of Russia. I feel like Again, I've mentioned this my feelings about this before, but it's a little weird to have a World Cup in Russia to basically provide this free good press to this not so great uh, government regime. But regardless of that, the national team was surprisingly good. Uh, some really interesting players came out of it, looking like a hundred bucks. Gullivan was pretty pretty good. Uh, I think they, he's a player that could be a valuable contributor to any Premier League team. Uh, maybe not a superstar level midfielder, but he could be a, a star level midfielder, a, a, t- a player that can elevate the team's uh, standing in the Premier League for maybe, you know, they could be a top four contender. Um, Denis Sheryshev, I don't know if they were, because I'm a Madrid fan and I've, been, I've watched him when he used to play for Madrid and I watched La Liga plenty. Uh, I've never seen him perform the way he did at this World Cup. He was spectacular. He was always a dangerous presence and his ability to shoot from almost any angle and score these ridiculous goals. My honestly, to be fair, I my first thought was that he was taking some performing enhancing drugs because I had never seen him do this. But uh, he he was pretty good, and I think if he ha- he's already playing in Villarreal, I believe, and he could get a bigger move to maybe a, a bigger club in Spain. I don't know, maybe not a Atletico or Real Madrid level or Barcelona level, but maybe like a Valencia or even a Sevilla. Like I feel like he's the kind of player that can really elevate a team that's in the mid table to something greater. Um, a lot of the Russian players performed much better than I thought they would. They played like a team. They, the fans are pretty great. They were pretty intense. And it's always good to see a home nation that's excited and there's a party atmosphere in the stadiums. Um, you know, good for Russia. Good for them. They did, they did well at this tournament. They did better than, you know, they beat Spain. That's, pretty, that's an incredible accomplishment. They uh, got out of an easy group. But, you know, you got to win the games to get through. And they crushed Saudi Arabia. They beat. They basically crushed Egypt. They lost this to Uruguay, but they beat Spain on penalties, and they almost beat Croatia. Um, so, anyways, we're gonna move. We're gonna talk about the semifinals of this World Cup. It's been a pretty fun ride. But before we do that, I want you to give me one player that you feel is in the run, like the top player for the Golden Ball, the best player of this tournament. Uh, I think Luka Modric has been outstanding. Yeah, and this Croatia run shows how good he's been. I think he was he was the best player in the group stages, and now he in the in the knockout stages he's taking the responsibility, really, and leading this Croatia team to a semi-final. So I think um, looking at his performances and how how good his team has been, um, like they're running the World Cup, I think he's a candidate for the Golden Ball. Yeah, I'd say if I had to pick a player that I think should be in the running for the Golden Ball, it's between two, um, and they both play for the same team. It's uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Lukaku. Um, and Lukaku has been amazing. Yes, he's been spectacular, and it's incredible because his uh, his talent is showing in places you would not expect. He is a goal scorer, and he has four goals in this tournament. Um, but his movement uh, on the counterattack has proven to be 
some of the most incredible striker attacking movement I've ever seen in a match because he's able to create spaces for his attacking teammates to get the goals on these counterattacks. I mean, we saw it in both the Japan game and in the Brazil game how important Lukaku was in scoring these crazy goals off the counterattack. In the Japan game, it was his movement that allowed Nasser Chadli to get the uh, get the ball in the box to score the winner, including also he had a dummy that was unbelievable to watch live. And then you have in the Brazil match, his hold-up play and his ability to attack uh, Miranda and Fagner and Marcelo and attack those spaces that they were uh, leaving behind when they would attack or pushing into them to hold up the ball was spectacular. The, the Brazilians had nothing, they couldn't do anything about it because he was just, his ability to dribble past them, his ability to use his strength and his speed to hold up and then get past them and his passing ability was just incredible. I Honestly, I, I would probably pick him over De Bruyne because even though De Bruyne is the probably the most, beside Modric, like the most devastating attacking midfielder on the planet right now, uh, I think you know Lukaku has done so much more to his team uh, to just make them tick and to make sure everybody is basically uh, getting their uh, ch- chances on attack. So I would have to say Lukaku has been like a real revelation to me uh, in this tournament. But uh, with that said, let's move on to the semifinals. Now our semifinal matchups, as we mentioned earlier, are France versus Belgium on one side, England versus Croatia on the other side. And let's talk about France Belgium. Do you want to give me what do you, what do you think is the big X factor that we should all look for in that France Belgian game? Like what is going to be the thing that decides the winner of that match? Probably will be France's attack against Belgium's defense because Belgium's defense throughout the tournament has been uh, criticized a lot. And in their game against Brazil, this was this was what people expected. Uh, Neymar, Gabriel Jesus, William running at the Belgian defenders, and, and th- that was something people thought they, they the, the Belgian defense couldn't cope with, but they they coped it coped really well. But I think against France, um, it would be very difficult for that defense, especially with Mbappe, Giroud, who is a very tough striker, and Griezmann as well. So that that would probably be the matchup. I think. France defense has been solid throughout the tournament, but as you said earlier, Lukaku, who has been amazing, uh, can, can cause a lot of problems to France, and Kevin De Bruyne, with his creativity and technical ability, can also cause a lot of problems together, uh, together with Eden Hazard as well. Yeah, I think uh, that's a pretty good point to mention, that uh, it's definitely going to come down to France's incredible attack against Belgium's um, slightly weak but very impressively uh, impressive defense from the last game. Marine Fellaini uh, is probably going to be a big X factor in this game. He was a huge presence in the uh, Brazil match. He was just a towering figure, winning headers, uh, making sure that the middle was clogged so the creative players like Coutinho and Neymar could not cut in to get a higher percentage shot in the middle of the park. Um, we'll see. I think the French... The ability that the French have to counterattack is uh, definitely going to be pretty helpful against Belgium because Belgium is going to play with the kind of back line that's going to be pretty high up the pitch. That's generally how they like to play anyways. Um, It's going to be curious to see because both of these teams have shown the ability to win uh, games on their counterattacking ability, but someone's going to have to have the ball. And I'm just curious to see, will Belgium try to push the issue by having that uh, possession-based game uh, but risk, risk them the, themselves on the counterattack, 
or is uh, France going to be the one that's like, all right, we're going to try to break down this Belgian team because if we break them down, then we can go on the counterattack. So it's going to be curious. Whoever scores the first goal in this game is definitely going to have uh, quite the advantage. Regard, I mean, I know that's a stupid statement because you have to score goals to win the game, but like, the, I expect a high-scoring game, and the first one, the guy, the team that scores the first goal is going to have the advantage that they can finally they can hold back and wait on the counterattack. So that's something to watch out for. Um, let's move on to the England Croatia game, the probably one of the least expected semifinals we've ever had at a World Cup. Um, what do you think is the main factor, a big X factor, that we have to watch out for in this match? Um, in my opinion, the midfield battle will be very important. I think Luka Modric and, and Rakitic dominated the midfield against Henderson, Linger, and Dani Ali. I think it will be an interesting battle because um, it's it's a logic of football. Whoever dominates the midfield have a have a big advantage over their opponent. So I think with players like Modric and Rakitic on the Croatian side against players like Henderson, who has been great throughout this tournament, he has been a, a very very good player. Um, the midfield midfield battle between uh, both teams will be very interesting to watch and to be a deciding deciding factor on this game. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're one hundred percent right. Modric and Rakitic are such incredible players, and that's not even mentioning Brozovic and Kovacic, uh, who could come off the bench. Perisic is also a pretty good attacking midfielder. Um, I want to mention that I think we've seen that this Croatian team, uh, even though they've made the semifinals, it feels that they've slightly underperformed with the amount of talent that they have. Obviously, they've been a team that you know is dependent on crossing into the box to score their goals. Uh, which is strange when you have two midfielders that play for Real Madrid and Barcelona, uh, that you would just try to cross it into the box and see if Mandzukic, who's a talented player, of course, but it seems like you're limiting your ability to attack. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if the English backline, which has been lauded, rightfully so, this tournament, uh, is able to withstand the kind of aerial barrage that the Croatians are going to commit to them. And I would say to that point, I think England is going to be pretty well prepared for that. Um, I'd also say the one thing that I'm really looking out for is England has shown an ability to counterpress similar, not at the same level, but very similarly to Tottenham and, and uh, Liverpool and Manchester City in the Premier League. Uh, their ability to just attack the ball whenever they don't have possession of it is pretty interesting. I think it's going to be something that the Croatians are not used to. Denmark was a team that wanted to sit back. Russia was a team that wanted to sit back. Um, you know, Argentina theoretically wanted to do that, but you know, Croatia was able to pick them apart. Nigeria and Iceland again were not teams that were to counterpress you. Um, so it's going to be curious to see if if England does not have the quality in the midfield to compete against Modric and Rakitic, are they going to use the counterpress to try to nullify the Croatian midfield uh, pivot? So I'm very curious to see what happens there. Uh, but you know what? Let's let's we're near the end of the show, so let's let's go into it. Who do you think is going to win win the France Belgium game? I think it'll be a two two draw in normal time, and France win on penalties. That's a pretty bold prediction. I would I'm going to say a three three one victory for France. I think Belgium had their game of the tournament, um, and I think even though they're going to be pretty excited and they're going to be ready to go against their you know border rivals in France. Um, I think France is just really defensively solid, and I think they're going to pick apart the Belgian team on the counterattack, and I think Mbappé is going to have 
just a, a torrid time against Alderweireld and Vertonghen because they're not as quick as him, and he's going to have so much space because, you know, the uh, back line of Belgium is not exactly the most pacey, and also they're going to have to cover a lot of ground since they don't play with wingbacks, and Mounier is going to be out because he's suspended. So I think there's going to be a lot of space for the, you know, French wingers to exploit, and they might do really well in this game. I think... What we should have, what what I was expecting for the Brazil game against Belgium, I think France is actually going to do it to Belgium. Uh, but let's move on to Croatia, England. Who do you think is going to win that one? I think England. I, I hope England wins. So I will predict England to win, maybe two one on on added uh, extra time. I think I think the match could go to extra time, and uh, I think I'll, I'll say two one England on extra time. I think. I think 1-0 England, just because I think England's going to get a goal and uh, could come off a set piece, which the Croatians are not you know, pretty good at. I also think Croatia is going to be really tired for this match. Uh, they've played in two straight matches that have gone to penalties. And, You're absolutely uh, right. Yeah, so I think England is just going to try to counter-press them, use their uh, speed and their relative lack of uh, tiredness to try to uh, make those, ti- you know, those uh, Croatian legs run. And I think England is just going to try to do what Spain did in 2010, which is they're going to try to hold the ball, get their goal, and then just tire the other team to death with their passing ability and their movement. So I wouldn't be shocked if England wins. I think England will win, uh, but I don't think it'll be like a 2 nothing. And I don't think it goes to extra time because I don't think the Croatians will have the, the – unless they're injected with like the greatest steroids in the world, I don't think they're going to be able to last – another 120 minutes for the third straight game in a row in just three days rest. So I think England wins. I think they win in regular time, but I think it's a 1-0. But uh, you have a, a France-England final, as do I. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. Uh, <laughs> both teams looking for their second World Cup. You're, uh, w- you know, let's just, let's just talk about it a little bit. Uh, who would you pick in that scenario? Um, France, I think, are better than England, but of course, it will be a very entertaining final. I think it will mean a lot for both countries, especially England, to be back in a in the World Cup final. Uh, but I think France has an, has an advantage over England. Yeah, I would say you're right about that. I I would also I don't we don't have to make a pick about that. But if if we do get a France England final, I think it would be pretty entertaining. I think that's the most entertaining matchup we could have. Um, I hope it happens. I think. I think both fan bases would be, you know, they'd be believing at that point if they played each other. So I think it's going to be a pretty great semifinal. Tuesday, we're going to have France versus Belgium, and Wednesday, we're going to have England versus Croatia. Um, you know, best of luck to all four nations. You you know, it's great that they've done this well so far. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the end of our show. Uh, Ori will be back on Thursday to recap the semifinals and preview the final. Um, but... This has been a great World Cup. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Gabriel. Uh, it was fun talking to you, especially about Brazil. Um, but we'll be back soon to talk about everything else. And uh, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy the last of the World Cup. This is going to be. This has been so great to watch, and it's been great to watch it with you guys and to, uh, you know, have you guys listen. So thank you so much. That's the Top Fly Podcast. I'm Asam Bailey. That's Gabriel Coelho, and uh, we'll see you soon.